are back with another episode of that's haram i am Corey, joined by joined by joined with joined it's a day we've got so much to talk about my brain's already jumping up there so hair is with me there we go Assalamu alaikum, everybody. We are back for our October episode. This will go up right at the end of October. We have all of the things in the world to talk about. We hope you're ready. And if not, grab some ice cream or your favorite snack. If, if you don't like to snack, I don't know what to tell you. Your favorite fidget wheel. And you'll or just listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I feel like most of our listeners are probably people who, like us, are like, yes, let's do multiple things at one time. <laughs> So uh, in our last episode, we said we were shifting our That's Haram schedule to a bi-monthly or every other month so we could focus on some more in-depth items. And what we had talked about for this month was going to be, quote unquote, assimilation. Um, I know there's a lot of media depictions of immigrants and it's not just, you know, Muslim refugees. It's also um, immigrants of color in general that white people seem to have expectations about. And this, there's this idea of like they have to assimilate and completely absorb our culture. They can't keep any of their culture. They have to become exactly like us. Well, we know in the U.S. it still doesn't matter because... They're not white, so certain racists will still never accept them. But there still seems to be a demand, and not just in the U.S., but in other quote-unquote Western countries as well, of you have to assimilate. So we wanted to talk about assimilation versus you know, what we might consider a more robust, um, organic approach, holistic approach of acculturation. And then we also wanted to talk about like, there are certain things where if you are coming over, you are making that choice to come over and live in a different country. And while you shouldn't be forced to assimilate, there are certain things that you should be respectful of. So that especially ties in um, with indigenous issues and colonialism. And we will get to that a little bit later in the episode. But a lot of this really kind of kicked off because it's either in media or you see it in the news about either immigrants from the African continent, immigrants from the South American continent or Central American continent subregion or Muslim immigrants in particular. Basically, if you're not white Western European, there's this sort of like, oh, you must assimilate completely and utterly into our culture and leave everything you know behind. Which, no. Yeah, I mean, Corey said all that needs to be said there. I think it's interesting because so much of the time when we think about immigration, there's always this idea that it's on one end of two or on two ends of one spectrum where the left side is like people who willingly immigrated and everything was hunky-dory and they came for quote-unquote the American dream which obviously is not a real thing and then there's all the people who were forced to immigrate even though obviously real life is much more varied than that and it's a full spectrum of 
all of the different reasons why people might be leaving their countries, whether it's to come to America or any of the European countries that are in the news and constantly being talked about as having some sort of, you know, invasion or people at the border. And so there's that aspect of it. But then there's also the idea that one of the reasons that we wanted to do this episode now is the short film that we've talked about before, Side Family Expensive Game Night, which is a delightful name, but also a mouthful. So I'm just going to call it Side Fam for the rest of the episode. Um, has just, you know, released. And even though it's not publicly available, the trailer is out. It just premiered in the U.S. at the Chicago International Film Festival. And the too long didn't watch version of it is that the story is about a Muslim family celebrating Christmas or celebrating the night before Christmas and they have a game night. Well, in the trailer for it, you know, there's family members who are drinking alcohol and playing card games. And also the story centers a queer Pakistani uh, woman and her partner who is Puerto Rican and is non-binary. And so as you might expect, and unfortunately are, you know, probably thinking there were people who did not like any of this. There are people who, Muslim or otherwise who are like, oh, this is some sort of like assimilationist thing. Like, why are they showing Muslims who do this? This isn't how Muslims act. Never the mind that we have a billion something plus Muslims and their experiences are going to be as varied as each of us on this planet at this moment. And when I my interview with Kosar and other people in the film, Kosar Muhammad, who wrote it and um, was the star, you know, she was talking about how this is personal to her life and it doesn't have to be universal. It just needs to be something that people can relate to because that is something that her and her family do every year. They have a Christmas, you know, Eve party. They like to celebrate. It's important for them to come together as a family, what have you. And it got Corey and me really thinking about what are the ways that people talk about assimilation in the context of, literally like when you think of assimilation in movies right the idea of like you've been assimilated by the aliens it's it's very similar it's like if you come to the U.S. all of a sudden you're supposed to be this um perfect you know perfect little immigrant who does everything everyone else wants you to do where everyone else obviously is the political structure and are primarily heteronormative you know white supremacist type of um expectation where even in my own work with refugees, I hear from people who they're saying, you know, sometimes I'm trying to think of how the best way to say this without throwing anyone under the bus, but there's this expectation that because they're refugees and they're getting help from us, they need to act the way we want them to. We being general, I personally obviously am not at all of that mind frame. I think that refugees have gone through a lot of awful things and they also have a lot of resilience and they can choose how they want to live their lives after having to completely uproot themselves many of them multiple times in a short span of time and and how that impacts their entry into this country and then on Corey's you know perspective obviously Corey can speak to the indigenous perspective way more than I can or would ever want to but the idea that like this is also a country that is built on the history of enslaved people and oppression against indigenous people and so when immigrants come here whether they choose to or not there has to be I'm kind of jumping ahead, but there has to be a respect of who the people who were before here, us here, sorry, who were here before us, there we go, and who are currently here, and we all have to live together, and ultimately, it's not this quick, easy, like, oh, well, now that you're here, you have to like everything that the rest of us like, where the us is this, like, dominant culture, um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Corey, thoughts? Well, and I also want to make a quick... Um, Christmas seems to be such a hot flashpoint 
And I would like to point out that the U.S. in particular has done an absolutely spectacular job at secularizing this holiday. Um, yes, you've got the Christian contingent, but there's also like a completely separate secular concept to this that's all just about like bright lights and Santa Claus and getting together and eating a bunch of food. So for people who are saying, how dare you, how dare you, I, I would come back with like, okay, but you know, the U S has also very much created this kind of secularized version. And, you know, I grew up in, you know, before I reverted, I grew up in a Christian denomination that actually did not celebrate Christmas as a religious holiday. Uh, we were the only church in town that never had a nativity scene. We never had a Christmas Eve service or Christmas Day service, none of that, uh, because the belief was it doesn't say in the Bible, you know, Jesus Christ was born on December 25th. So that's how we're going to celebrate it. That's just kind of how it eventually came over centuries to be the day. So that interpretation that I grew up with was, well, you should celebrate it every day, mm-hmm. not just, um, you know, December 24th, 25th, whatever. So I actually grew up with this being a secular and not a religious holiday. So other people who are saying, oh, how dare anybody who isn't Christian celebrate Christmas? I mean, like, it's pretty easy. Uh, It happens all the time. You get a funny little tree and decorate it and put some shiny things on it and eat a bunch of food. It happens. (laughs) I mean... You want to talk about people, immigrants, like we talk about acculturation versus assimilation of like, we adopt parts of this and we make these symbols our own. I mean, making secular Christmas, I think is a perfect example of that. Well, and also, I mean, to be fair, a large chunk of it is because it's capitalism, right? Like the gift giving has expanded into a bazillion trillion dollar industry, which by the way, if any of you are planning on buying anything for anybody, you should do it now. Our supply chain is completely screwed. So if you plan to get anything on time for the holidays, whether it be Christmas or just you like to buy things in December because it's cheaper, this is your warning from someone who spends a lot of time in supply chain Twitter because I spend a lot of time in every part of Twitter, unfortunately. I don't have a life. So, Or, um, <laughs> or you can go my route and just do digital gift cards. Yes. That's also probably better anyway, because then people can wait to use the gift cards for when things are hopefully less chaotic. And they can get what they want. And there's no, yeah. oh, this is so nice. When you realize, oh, I mixed up who wanted what. Now is awkward. Ooh. Yeah, that's not a fun time either. Um, Point But being. It, it's interesting too just how people see Christmas as a thing in the context of mm-hmm. Muslim um, communities. Because like I said yesterday, by the time y'all hear this, it will have obviously been a week or two weeks, but we were at my, um, so my dad is part of like the committee that's in charge of our local Sufi community. And we changed last minute our venue for one of our celebrations for Maulid, which is the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him's birthday, or when we observe his birthday, I should say. And so uh, it was really funny because one of the uncles, it was very, very cute. The uncle was like, Sheikh, 
I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to like totally give away because you can totally figure out where I live. But the Sheikh is going to give candy because it's Halloween and it's totally halal. And so everyone was like, Halloween halal, that's not exactly at all like equivalent. And it made everyone laugh because at the end of the day, like obviously none of us were going to be doing anything Halloween related. But the idea was that there was going to be candy for kids. The candy was on sale. And so even the idea of like Muslims who celebrate Halloween can be a thing. And we've talked about before on this podcast and one of our very first like I don't do Halloween I growing up my parents were like why would you dress up as a demon I don't understand what's happening this seems like it's going to be very bad luck we don't need to be bringing gins in into our home like no this is they didn't say it as like this is haram and therefore forbidden by Allah and or the Quran but just like haram in the way that I use it on and Corey uses it on this podcast oh I guess that's where I got it from it's from my parents funny enough and so as a kid the only time I ever went quote-unquote trick-or-treating was because in high school, I convinced my parents to let me and my brothers go for UNICEF. So we went around and I got some money for UNICEF because, you know, in high school, that's what you do when you're in student council and everything. And my brothers, you know, got the cute candy and we wore traditional salar kameez and bunjabis because I wasn't going to figure out, I mean, like, why make a costume when I can just wear my traditional garb? All the white people in the neighborhood were like, oh, you look so cute. And so when we got home, I had to then go through all the candy because half of it we can't eat. And so it was just really funny last night, like all these kids are like clamoring for the candy and all of the aunties and uncles are like, okay, but Halloween isn't a thing that we do. So why did we even do this? So even in that like small moment, it's one of those things where it makes sense why some Muslims are so vehemently confused by other people celebrating other religions, but also Muslims live all over the world. And Islam, as we've talked about on this podcast as well, is not specific to Saudi Arabia or specific to a specific part of the world. Everyone adopts and includes cultural um, specifics, I guess is the one way to say it into their own lives. I actually just was talking to someone a couple of days ago about how they incorporate their Islamic religion and their Latinx culture for um, Day of the Dead, the Lord's Murthors, and how they have a Quran, um, like a mini Quran on the, um, it's not temple, but like altar. So it's, you know, people are mixing different things because that's how life works. There's no one way of doing things. And so the assimilation conversation, acculturation, or even just acclimating, like when you go to a new country, everyone has culture shock because it's new. So how you go about doing that in a way that's respectful and how other people should welcome you without being jerk faces is Mm -hmm. is key to the conversation for today. Well, and I think that also goes into something you brought up about like Gulf Coast countries do not have like the one and only right way of how to Muslim. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we briefly mentioned on that's Ram in previous episodes, like we briefly touched on Middle East or Arab supremacy that is still a thing. You know, all Muslims need to read and speak Arabic and act like the Arabs do type of like, that's how you're going to be a good Muslim. And it's like, well, okay, well, so are we just ignoring Indonesia entirely? and mm-hmm. malaysia and pakistan and bangladesh and 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 you know so it it is um it, it's not just this one thing that is like white specific there are other many 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 layers to this um within the muslim community itself <laughs> i guess mm-hmm. um you know obviously we're not saying oh all muslims are absolutely perfect and always treat each other well. Well, that's not true. If that were true, then we wouldn't have the slave conditions in like Dubai and Abu mm-hmm. Dhabi and Saudi Arabia and the other Gulf Coast countries where, you know, they 
ensnare workers and then work them to death or don't let them leave. So that's obviously a lie. It's a matter of, to me, acknowledging, as we've said over and over and over on this show, of there are as many ways to Muslim as there are Muslims. And I think that just goes for all of our conversations. I think we get caught up, and I especially because of things um, in response to certain movies that have been coming out, which I'm not going to get into because it's not really particularly important, but there's been a broader discussion about how we really need to move beyond representation matters to like, what is it that we're trying to get when we say things like that? And mm-hmm. ultimately, there's no one way to portray someone because there are seven, however many billion people I'm not Googling because I don't actually care. But that's how many experiences that there are. And while not all of them are necessarily things that I personally want to see, because there are people on this planet who I have no interest of talking to ever because they would want me to be dead. I think that we also have to leave space for the fact that there's going to be stories by and about people that don't fit your universe. And that is okay. And I think if we could all get to that point, we would not need this conversation or this podcast, frankly, because then I wouldn't be able to yell that to Ram about every little thing. However, I think it's important to think about the ways that even we in our own lives think about acculturation, acclimation, and how we assume people are going to need to interact with one another. In fact, last night when I was with um, some of the younger girls, we were helping set up some stuff. There was this one girl who was very awkward. She's very sweet. And I could tell that the other girls weren't really, you know, sure how to interact. And when we all took a picture together, they cut her out of the photo. And I know this is like a really random example, but I've been thinking about it all day because it's like, these are 12 year old girls and boys who already know like how to like push people out because they don't want to deal with quote, what awkward is. And so I think the same thing happens when we have immigration, we have people who understandably don't have a great grasp of English or whatever language it is, and understandably are really confused about different customs. And even for people driving on which side of the road, my sister went to Australia and she still doesn't drive because it stresses her out because they drive quote unquote on the wrong side. And she also is used to Bangladeshi driving, which is a chaos because there's cows on the road and there's everything's on the road. There are no like lanes. You just drive and hope for the best. And so to go from that to America, to Australia, where now everything is on the complete opposite side, I know it's a silly example, but those little things culminate into really big things like how the heck do I use our really labyrinthine medical system? How do I go about going to the grocery store when I want to get food and don't know how GPS works and may get lost in the middle of the street, which is what happened to one of my refugee clients. They were like, we got really lucky because someone was able to point us in the right direction. I did not even have a phone. And in my head, I was screaming like, oh my gosh, why did you leave your house without any kind of direction? Like, no, bad. But they made it home and it's all okay. And all of these examples seem really funny out of context, but at the end of the day, like they are the things that end up impacting people's lives. And as far as it comes to like conflicts between sections of immigrants or conflicts between like who quote unquote was already here, like all of us, unless you were literally connected to this land because you are indigenous and or depending on the time period of folks who are brought over here enslaved, like my family immigrated, but we weren't like, we immigrated from Bangladesh. So that puts me in a different category than anybody else. So I think it's important to think about that too, when we talk about like who gets to make these decisions about how we all should act or how we should all interact and what celebrations people are allowed to be part of or utilize in their homes, um, if that makes sense. Well, and I mean, speaking to that a little bit, um, 
as Sahara touched on, I, I refer to it as either you have forced assimilation or forced segregation. Now, obviously, forced assimilation, I'm referring to indigenous or first nation groups, and forced segregation, I'm referring to uh, the Black community, especially those who were brought over here as slaves and their descendants, but even, you know, um, descendants from various countries in either Africa or the Caribbean who have since come to the U.S. There's still this sense of forced segregation, but specifically I'm referring to the ones who involuntary came over here. These two groups of persons basically have drawn the short end of the stick in pretty much every single scenario possible when it comes to other immigrants coming over here and essentially trampling over either what they believed when they were forced over here or what they believed when they were here first and then were genocidally slaughtered to make way for manifest destiny. And there are quantifiable generational scars on these groups of people that are handed down from generation to generation, either from slavery and then, you know, Jim Crow era racism or from, like I said, genocide, the U.S. Army warring against them, forced death marches, infested smallpox blankets, residential schools. I mean, and this this is not just, oh, it happened a couple centuries ago. This stuff is still recent history. There are people alive who were victims in the Jim Crow South or who were victims of the residential school. Like, they're it's still, still here. And it's still, I mean, look at Canada. My goodness. The two mass graves that were uncovered this year, children forcibly taken from their parents in the residential schools. So when I, I get, I have a very different reaction to immigration. I, and it's not like, oh, I don't like the brown or black people coming here. It's, oh, I feel really weird about any kind of immigration because of colonialism. Because that type of immigration led to genocide and led to might makes right. We're going to impose what we do on you. And if you don't like it too bad, maybe you'll survive. I so mean, when I when I talk about immigration, I always have a caveat of whomever is coming over. I support I support your search of whatever you're wanting to come over, you know, for a better life, for job careers, for safety. But I've also, I'm also of the mindset of you do need to have some respect for the culture that you're coming into instead of just saying it's my way or the highway. And again, that is generational leftovers from rampant colonialism. And my ancestors being death marched from the South to Oklahoma. I also think it's key to remember that like, so the two communities that you talk about, there's overlap there. And then colonialism is why people largely, obviously independently, it's a different story, but like the reason for why so many people are currently at our border, the reason why so many people quote unquote are like, yeah, let me go to America because that's where the American dream is, has to do with the way that British colonialism and the rest of the European countries screwed everyone else over. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's one of those things where it's really hard to talk about. I mean, I, Okay, so I have three labs this semester and I'm teaching students all about intercultural anthropology and the weeks that we had on borders and belonging, 
we're really, because of COVID, everyone is just tired. Our brains are done. We don't want to talk about things. But there was a section of one of my classes where I literally had to be like, I need all of you guys to pause because you guys are asking me as if somehow I can respond for thousands and thousands of people who have immigrated into this country, quote unquote, illegally. Never had the mind that those laws changed on a whim of whoever white guy is in power. And even when there wasn't a white guy in power, there were more deportations than the dudes in the past. So it's one of those things where I was trying to really explain to them, like we're sitting in our little classroom, which has an oval desk and we're having this abstract conversation, but these are real people whose lives have been materially harmed due to involvement by the US and other countries, including Canada. And so when people are choosing, quote unquote choosing to come to this country, there's a large difference between that. And like I said before, refugees who are, they are forced to pick, do they want to try to get uh, resettlement somewhere or forever live in an in-between zone. And then there's the folks who are like, well, I make a lot of money and so I'm just going to move there because I can't. And I, and by the way, it's not just people coming here. Like there are people in America who are like, oh, I'm totally going to move to another country because COVID and everything is awful here. And I'm like, you are part of the problem. You are going to take the same issues here that are in the U.S. and just transplant them somewhere else because you feel like you have the ability to do that. The Eastern Asian countries where a lot of Americans go who don't speak a lick of the language of that nation and they expect that everyone should be speaking English. What is going on with you? I mean, I know Mm -hmm. what racism and everything else. And so, you know, we're situating in the U.S. because that's what we know, but it's a global issue in the context of globalization, global colonialism, imperialism, and the way that we still have due to capitalism, the flows of power. This became a very anthropological discussion today. I feel like all my professors would be really proud of me. But because of all of that, we have this issue where there's no way around it. I was telling Corey when we were talking about this episode and what we really wanted to focus on, there have been situations where in Canada, especially the First Nations communities have, and you know, this is one example. There are plenty of communities where this wasn't the case, but there have been situations where the First Nations communities and the refugees do have a little bit of a conflict. Because the refugees don't know the history, because why would they? They are not from countries where that is the thing that they were going to be aware about and they need to learn. But on the list of things for them to learn, that's not very high when they're trying to get jobs. And then for the First Nations communities, it, of course, makes sense that they feel a very specific type of way that, okay, their country, their government, quote unquote, even if they don't approve of the government for obvious reasons, is going to give refugees services, but they won't do a single thing to help the First Nations members, which makes complete and absolute sense. But then what ends up happening is the government and the dominant group, which of course is primarily white dudes, heteronormative hierarchy, et cetera, they're making these decisions that are pitting people against one another. And there's nowhere for anyone to come in from either community to be like, wait a second, we're fighting the wrong people. We should collectively be fighting the oppressors. And obviously, you know, that's a whole other episode, but, but it's interesting the ways that these are playing out. It doesn't happen quite as much in the US necessarily in like a newsworthy way. Um, the refugees that I've worked with, primarily the way that the services work in North Texas are just different, but it's still an, it's still an issue of like when they work at the meatpacking plant and they work with primarily black people, like there's definitely some tensions, especially because the anti-blackness is unfortunately a global issue. And so it's really interesting, not in an academic way and for lack of a better word, but it's interesting how these communities are having to grapple with one another, especially in the after effects of the first wave of COVID. And now in our new world where like half of the world that just pretends that COVID doesn't exist and the rest of the world is obviously trying to deal with the fact that it is not going away. And I think that's a, it's a good 
discussion to be having because we're not saying neither of these groups, their feelings are invalid. You know, I, I am sure, you know, from, I, I obviously, I'm not speaking as much to the black experience because I am not black. Um, I think it is pretty easy to put yourself in those workers shoes or in those community shoes of like, we have been shat on at every single availability. And now mm -hmm. this new group is coming in that also has some inherent anti-blackness and they're getting even more help than we have ever been given. That is a valid complaint for that group. The, the way we have to approach this is too many people try to tell like the first group, especially, and this is where it really starts to go off the rails is because you have, and I'm not saying this as a bad thing. I'm saying this is, I'm just stating this factually. You have immigration groups that literally tell either first nations groups or black communities or black activists. It's like, you need to take a seat. These people have suffered. These people are the result of XXX and they don't acknowledge the generational harm from the indigenous or black communities because of colonialism. And that makes these groups even more defensive. And that's how bad blood goes. I mean, Sahar talks about, we aren't focusing on the bigger picture about what's keeping us divided and what's causing these problems. And part of that is we have to have better language to communicate with each other as well and not be so quote unquote tribalistic both sides have hard yeah both sides Sorry. have valid concerns i'm obviously speaking from the side of like yes there are unfortunately times where there are overzealous immigration activists that are like you don't understand what the i'm like well okay we might not understand entirely what's going on but you aren't trying to make an effort to understand our position either so there's not going to be any empathy because you're getting defensive and you're mad. You're using language that then makes us defensive. And now everybody's defensive and cranky. Mm -hmm. Well, also, I mean, let's be real. Um, and I, I can't speak to you. I'm not black, nor am I indigenous. I'm just the immigrant daughter of an immigrant who works with refugees. Right. So my perspective is coming primarily from, I mean, obviously it's a personal perspective. I work with refugees, but it's also an academic perspective because that's what my PhD dissertation research is in. But I think what's really interesting too, is, I mean, I see regularly on Twitter intra community discussions that I have no part of being in and nor am I in them, but I see a lot of times where a lot of, um, Black community members and indigenous community members will understandably be grappling. And it's it's always one of those things where it's like, Corey doesn't, because Corey's not who I'm talking about, but like there are people who forget that there's an overlap. And so they all start yelling at one another. And then of course, someone finally at the end after things have pulled down or like, guess what? We could have been fighting our oppressors this whole time instead of each other. And I think understandably so because of the way the world works and the history of what's happened in this country since the beginning of this country as quote unquote America. Obviously, this landmass has existed way before that point, and indigenous people existed way, way before <laughs> that point as well. Um, the idea that like it's easier to fight each other because it's so much harder to actually grapple with and then mobilize in any legitimate way against the larger powers that be because mm -hmm. it's impossible almost to see the larger powers that be because the web is so large and it's so, so dense. And also I think capitalism. it's really interesting. Yes. And, and, you know, Corey made a point earlier about how 
when people were taking down the Columbus statues along with the Confederate statues in the summer of 2020, you know, summer of 2020 has really pushed, I think, this discussion in, in a lot of ways. But obviously, there's always room for more improvement because unfortunately, we have not yet reached liberation. And I don't know if we will anytime soon, but we'll keep trying for it, obviously. The idea that, you know, there's now committee members really talking across, quote unquote, the aisle, which is used for our government. But nonetheless, it's, I think it's a good analogy, like talking across the aisle and talking to one another as opposed to across one another and over each other's heads, which is what usually happens, especially with social media. I mean, Twitter exists to foment rage, but I still think there's a huge there's a huge need for this discussion because media, especially bringing it back to originally what you know that's from it's all about. We talk about media, we talk about all sorts of things. This is the stuff that people are seeing, and this is the stuff that gets stuck in your head. If the only thing you're ever seeing is the same nonsense, you're not going to think beyond what does it actually mean for a community of color, whatever quote color that is, or whatever background that person might have, to be living a life where your whole life and your ancestors' life and their ancestors' life has been in relation to trauma, which isn't to say, by the way, this is not to say that people are not resilient and they're not pushing back. I don't ever want anyone to leave right. this podcast thinking we're saying that like things are always so sad. There are plenty of resilient community members in all of the communities we've talked about, or they would not be still fighting for their right. rights, obviously. But again, it's exhausting to be sitting here thinking about like, what does this mean? And then everything that does well in the media and everything that gets quote unquote, the awards are always the same stories. It's always the same like five tropes, the same nonsense. And there's no regard for all of the people who have been working their hardest forever to think to make things different. So really it's for when we're talking about this modern concept of assimilation versus like acculturation or acclimation, there are a lot of factors that play into, you know, globalization, decades of imperialist colonialism, wars, Western countries butting in where they shouldn't have and screwing everything up for the citizens that live there. And we have a global migration pattern as a result. And I think, you know, the U.S. does need to be cognizant of like, we caused a ton of these problems. 75%, at least at a minimum of the shit that's destabilized in South America is a direct result of us wading into there in the 20, 19th and 20th centuries to overturn governments to put in people that we want that will do what the U.S. wants. We, and I mean generalized we, obviously not Sahara and I, or you know, <laughs> the indigenous communities, like we as in the U.S. powers created this problem. We made that bed. Now we have to lie in it. And one of the consequences is it is very hard to make a living in certain countries, and it's very dangerous in certain countries. So naturally, people there want to come to a place that is more stable. Or at let least me, that they're let being me reiterate, I am stable. not unempathetic or unsympathetic to why this mass immigration is occurring. I know damn well why it's occurring. I am saddened by the fact that the two groups that have been historically shat on the most as a result of the original sin, quote unquote, colonialism, hmm. are still getting shat on with everybody else and still don't have our issues addressed. And we can't find a way to work together to have an acclimatized, I probably butchered that pronunciation. I think it's just acclimate. Yeah, acclimated group of people 
who are learning from each other, who are giving to each other, who are working with each other and realizing the real problem is the power up top. And we're not going to fix any of it until we get to that stage. Instead, everybody's like, you got to assimilate, you got to assimilate. And then you've got, you know, black indigenous persons of color who are like, okay, but when are we going to get our turn? And then you've got everybody else. And I'm like, okay, well, these are all legitimate problems, but they all come, all of this shit comes from the top. We're just at the bottom on the receiving spray. So until we can turn off the shit faucet, we're still going to be arguing with each other and we're still going to have these problems globally, not just with the U.S. Obviously, like there are regions in the world like China's got its own issues. Russia's got its own issues. Lord knows. I'm saying Lord knows because I'm talking about the U.K. because, yeah. Anyways, the <laughs> U.K. has his own own issues. Whoa, my goodness. Uh, France and their Islamophobia just- problem. Everywhere. That's truly haram over there. Like everywhere has these problems. It's not just a U.S. Canada problem. Everywhere has these problems. Brazil's got its own problems. All right. We don't need to keep listing every country yeah. on the planet. We'll be here for a year. Anyways, y'all get the point <laughs> I'm trying to make. It's like this is a global issue that has global history and until we turn off the shit faucet at the very top, we're still God, just going to be so gross. Like, we're we're going to be waiting in it. What? <laughs> Sorry, I just keep imagining all, a cartoon. All we like, can faucet. focus on is the fact that we're covered in this crap instead of fo- being able to focus on turning it off. That's the problem. So what you're saying is we just need new plumbing in this country. <laughs> well, first we got to turn the leaking faucet off. Then we've got to fix the plumbing. <laughs> Oh, wow. though, like, everybody else is just place. cranky because we're covered in sewage instead of looking at like, well, how can we be not covered in sewage? Oh, let's fix the problem where the sewage is coming from first. <laughs> oh, my Atlanta. No, I mean, Corey's totally right. I just think it's a really funny uh, mental image to imagine like a cartoon faucet spewing garbage. I think also it's one of those things where. I mean, if you know anything about what's happening in the U.S., right, we're fully aware, for example, the 13th Amendment does not fully get rid of slavery. Prisoners are essentially enslaved, working for very little money to fight our fires. And then when they're allowed out, they're not allowed to actually be a firefighter, which is just one of many examples in the ways that our whole country is a disaster area. And it's not a disaster that's natural. It's all created. And actually... There is a whole section of ecology where it's like, guess what? Most disasters are not natural. So that's an episode for another day. But the idea that all of this is created and that there is a way to fix it is one thing, but it's also really hard to actually achieve those fixes for the reasons that Corey and I have spoken about before, but also in the context of right now with the global pandemic, like people are tired and people are tired enough to quit. They're quitting their awful paid jobs where they don't get any support or any services. But it's also creating a very lethargic community of people where it's really hard to think about the epic spewing faucet down the road, because not only do we have the spewing faucet of sewage and garbage and trash and poop, we also have the epic faucet spewing awful news, constant traumatizing narratives and a whole bunch of other nonsense in your face. So you're trying to shield yourself from two faucets of haram, and it's really hard to do because there's no shield for that. And I think that's also part of the issue in for a lot of people who are genuinely activists, not the folks who are making a lot of money and causing a lot of drama and getting like 
car deals, which is the episode that's also haram. So many things that are haram, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, but the idea that like people who are generally doing the work, you know, a lot of folks who have, who have said we have to take it one at a time and not like we can't do everything at once, but each person can only do one thing well at one time. No matter how much we all like to say we multitask, genuinely speaking, we can only focus on one thing at one time. And so to do that in a way that's concerted and everyone comes together to actually handle the issues of what it means to be telling people to assimilate, to learn English, to do things. There are people who have refused to speak English in this country because they know what that means for their culture, because languages are getting lost. And so how do you support community that everyone can come together and truly help support one another and not police one another is a large discussion that's being had in a louder way in the last two years and that have been going on for years and years, especially in the abolition spaces. But we're hearing it now more publicly because of the Instagram, you know, info industrial complex, if you will. And a lot of that is really helpful because people of all ages are getting to interact with these ideas, same with TikTok. But that also means that there's a lot of bite-sized quotes being shared that don't necessarily get at what we have to do and to really think about these ideas in an abstract and broadly implicative way of, okay, let's take it from this book and apply it. And I think that's why it makes it really hard for a lot of people to think about media. There's those of us who are obviously at the fundamentals and our listeners who like to think about media critically. And there are other people who just open their eyes and take it in and then they move on with their lives. And I'm like, how do I turn my brain off? Because please help me. I'm so tired. And I think that's the same thing with any of this political stuff, right? There are people who it completely goes over their head. They don't care that the world is on fire on the West Coast because they're on the East Coast and they only have to worry about hurricanes, quote unquote, or whatever issue of the day. And then there are people like me and Corey and everyone else that we're talking about where we're just like, holy moly, the world is genuinely like there are problems and how do we deal with them? And trying to reach across and to get both sides of the same page is an impossible task, but there are ways to do it that still help. And I think that's what comes to media representation and the ideas of like, yes, media representation is not going to save our, it's not revolutionary. It's not going to do anything for anybody except little children who genuinely are like developing. So it's important they see people that look like them. But how do we take the idea of media representation and move it to something where we're actually genuinely making an impact? How do we tell a story so that people who watch the story go home and they're like, wow, that really sat with me. And for the right reasons, not like the people who are rich and who watch Parasite and totally miss the message. That is my one little like <laughs> thing that I just have to say about that. But you know, like how do we talk about Squid Games, which yeah, is doing bazillions of viewers and people are missing the commentary left and right because why think about it beyond the fact that it's just a fun little show about people dying when they play a kid's game wrong? No, there's so much history. I saw so many threads about it. Well, I can't even watch in it. South Korea, uh, look, right. really quick, like in China and South Korea, you have literally, I was just watching a YouTube video on this reporting of like, there are young people there that are like, honestly, I would go do it. I have that much debt. And I'm just like, yeah, damn, there's probably, we had running man in the U S before squid mm-hmm. games, it was running man. It was a short story. Then it became a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger of people going on game shows and risking their lives to get much needed money. And it's the same concept. And it's just, it's sad that you have young people that at this point, they're like, honestly, I'm in so much debt. I do it. I don't care. I can't see another way out of it. You know, this is why people immigrate because they're in a situation that they can't see any other way out of because their current circumstances are that bad. 
Like we need to understand that mindset of like, oh, if I'm that disturbed by young people saying, well, I would risk dying in a game because it's that bad. Why can't I understand people who are immigrating who are like, it's that bad. I would risk leaving everything I know and go somewhere where I know nothing because it's better than the circumstances I have. And that knowing that it's worse, it's worse in some ways, but it's still better in other ways. Mm -hmm. People who know willingly, okay, if I go work on the farm in Connecticut, I might get deported, but it's still better than living here because of what's been going on culturally and historically and structurally and politically, et cetera. And lose and like risk losing my life in that way. I'd rather risk losing it in another way. That is an impossible, like that is not something that I and I, I'm not gonna, I mean, I'm assuming Corey is the same, but like that's not something that I can think I could ever comprehend, no matter how much I try, right? Like that is not something that I personally, because of the life that I live, I am fortunate to be able to get food on my table and like my stipend covers my needs, et cetera, et cetera. Like I, that is impossible for me to fathom. And so for that to be the case for hundreds of thousands of people around the world, if not maybe millions at the rate of which all of our things are totally crumbling, not to put this like completely in a depressing way, but let's be real, this is kind of a intense episode. We do that sometimes. That is really hard to think about. And it's so easy for people because of the faucets of shit and news. These are the worst faucets ever. We should turn them off. But because of the faucets of shit and news coming our way, it's really hard to really grapple with, like, how do I as an individual person do things? And I fully understand why that can get overwhelming. And that's why I bring it back to, again, like, pick one thing, get really passionate about it, do that one thing really well, you will be much better off than trying to do 20 things and then dying 10 years early because you totally stressed out your heart because of how much, like, emotion you put into the work you do. And I know for me, like, that's an, I clearly have opinions about everything and their mother, but I still have to turn my own faucets of opinion. This faucet analogy, Corey, what did you do to us? The faucets of opinions have to be turned off so that I am able to eat it's my food and not be drowned. It's a good analogy. It's not my <laughs> fault. Your brain is realizing it's a good analogy, even if you think it's a gross one. Amy, no, it's good. I just, I'm going to think about faucets for the rest of my life now. You're welcome. <laughs> it could be ice cream, ice cream faucet. Where, where do I get that one? Capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> I can just do it with that. Well, I guess I have to pay. It's not the point. The point is, this is not an episode of That's Trauma until there's been an ice cream uh, mention. So here we are. You got your ice cream mention. Anyways, that's about the gist of what we wanted to talk about. Um, it's just really <laughs> not not the ice cream or the shit faucets. Well, sort of the shit faucets. <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh, What we want to talk about is like, especially in the media we're consuming, whether it be fiction or nonfiction is just like, everybody talks about immigration or assimilation or all of these other buzzwords that we've been throwing around. And we wanted to really kind of examine them from several sides, including, you know, certain sides that may have been overlooked by some listeners or others from other listeners and really kind of like, Hey, this, it's not just us. It's a global thing, but also there's other groups we need to be considerate of as well. And then that's all kind of kind of, you know, look up and see where exactly all of this is stemming from. Because it's super, super easy. Again, with the other haram spigot of news that's distracting us from everything, it's easy to lose sight of where the big faucet is or the fact that it's still raining sewage down on us. Mm, yeah, love that for us. 
Yes, we are neck deep in shit water. You're welcome. And on that note, <laughs> thanks for listening to this week's, this week's, this month's episode of That's Haram. We will be back in December, inshallah, if I did my math right. And you should listen to all of our other podcasts that Corey will list for us because otherwise I will forget and leave one out. And then that would be really sad. Uh, ladies first, we have obviously that's Haram beneath the screen of the ultra critics. Um, all bark, no dice. I believe Dan is working on an interview that might be coming up in the next couple months. That should be pretty fun for that. We have our weekly uh, TTRPG uh, live play Fay Forge Academy. That is every Friday. We have Cannon Fodder that has new episodes on the second and fourth Thursday of every month. And then behind the scenes looks on the first and third Thursday of every month. And then we also have Anime Attaché that is going to be coming back next month on Wednesdays, I believe. So we have plenty of content for y'all to listen to, even if you're like, oh, I'm sad. That's Haram. It's only every other month. I mean, I don't know who's saying that, but I'm assuming there's somebody out there who's listening that's like saying that. Wow. Way to just like totally. Okay. We hope you all are sad that we moved to once a month, but now you'll be happier because we won't have as many silly episodes where you know we're just filling. I mean, it's not that we're just filling the air. But we totally do grab bag episodes because they're a lot of fun and chaotic. But also it might be nice for you guys to actually get something out of our episodes because we did start this whole thing in attempts to be educational. (laughs) I love, I can just do the, I know exactly where to poke Sahar for the, oh, here's all the things I was wanting to say (laughs) to get them to come out. Um, But yes, we will be back in September and at some point next year, (laughs) September, December, my goodness. Sorry, we will be back in December. And, you know, at some point, I'm assuming in 2022, uh, you should be bracing yourselves when we talk about all the ways that this new Disney Plus Miss Marvel is haram. As well. so keep that on your yeah, radar. We, we know, knowing what we know now, we know that's going to be coming. <laughs> it is so haram. It might be the most haram thing we've talked about, which is saying something because it's not supposed to be. Press F for Corey and I. Anyways, thank you Anyways, for listening to us. Any of you who celebrated Malib holiday, um, if you do celebrate Halloween or Thanksgiving in the U.S., I think Canadian Thanksgiving already happened. But Halloween or any holidays between now and when our next episode is, stay safe. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, please get vaccinated. Also, wear your mask wear your out mask. in public and sanitize your hands and all that good stuff. Please be safe. I think that's it. Is that it, Sahara? I think we're good. That is, in fact, it. Allah Hafiz, everybody. Assalamu alaikum. Goodbye.